Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa Curry-Lowitz, and I'm here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here today. You've made an excellent choice here in choosing this particular show because we're actually live on Instagram today and I'm answering questions. I'm coaching and hopefully giving you some sort of perspective on when it comes to your ego and your well-being and how they work hand in hand. So today it is Wednesday, September 1st. Like obviously everyone's like, what? It's it's September. Wow. Uh, But like I said, we have a big show. And before we get started, I'd love for y'all to hit that pause button and go give this show a five-star review. Leave a written review. Your support and your help would mean so much to me. It helps others find the support that they need as well and helps to grow this incredible community of like-minded people, uh, like-minded warriors on their wellness journeys, okay? So today, I primarily wanna talk about the ego and how it basically affects all aspects of our life. And yes, the topic today will ultimately help clarify what's happening behind your particular triggers, your emotional frustrations uh, with whatever, really like body image, relationships, self-care, whatever the, wherever that hurt inside you lives. So I'm looking forward to sharing several, I mean, I'm I'm hoping several life-changing perspective shifts when it comes to the ego. Now, I'm going to say some things that most of you have never heard before. And if you have heard it, it's not very often. This is not common dialogue. Uh, I'm going to say things that you may not agree with and that might trigger you. And if that does in fact happen, I really challenge you to sit with that emotion that comes up, sit with it and keep listening with an open mind. All right, and I'm gonna explain a little bit about what that trigger actually is. Anytime I talk about the ego, which I also enjoy calling the tyrant of the mind, with my clients within the Elisa Unfiltered Inner Circle, I generally receive a ton of pushback, which generally transforms into a ton of growth and, and success. So just keep that in mind, shifting the way we think and we see the world, meaning the lens we choose to wear as we experience life is ultimately it's a slow and steady process and anyone willing to do it can and will do it. So I do sort of want to open this podcast with a quote from Eckhart Tolle, who's one of the greatest teachers for me on the subject of ego. And he says this, as we grow up, we learn things, see things, acquire knowledge, skills, and experiences, and we begin to create a personalized lens over our eyes. Then we assume that everyone else is wearing the same glasses. Now, this quote has played a huge role in my personal growth, my ability to hold space for others, to have compassion for their stories and experiences, and then ultimately help them try on a new pair of glasses to see the world differently. And with that said, actually two members that um, are inside my one-on-one coaching program, they have generously, uh, graciously agreed to send in some personal questions, things that have been holding them up recently or they want a little bit more clarification on. So I'm going to answer those live here in a little bit, as well as any other questions that you folks may have, especially on Instagram. Send your questions in here. I will try to um, keep track of them as they come in. I mean, maybe you just want to listen and learn and not ask. That is also perfectly fine. So... Sound good? Let's get started here. So I want to begin by asking you what your definition of ego is. Think about that for a second. 
in some ways, it's sort of challenging to define. At least I found it was challenging for me. And I'll tell you one thing I've been asked. Well, if you were to ask me this question in my late twenties, early thirties, I would have had a very different answer than I do now. I mean, I would have said something like the ego's part of your personality that lives in selfishness, uh, obnoxiousness. It's loud. It's a power hungry element or side to who you are. Does anyone else feel me on that? Uh, it's for me, the ego had a very bad reputation. And if you were called an egomaniac or egotistic, it was like, oh, it was like a like hurtful comment. (laughs) So I also used to think that people had either like big egos. So those would be your A-type personalities, CEOs, politicians, um, you know, even like midlife crisis people, or you would have no ego at all. I thought it was like a big ego or no, they don't have an ego. So we're talking, you know, like nuns, Mother Teresa, those selflessness, but also you wouldn't, you didn't have an ego if you were a person who always stayed composed and never reacted and had their shit together. Okay. So I honestly, I judged people and I believed that I judged people if they had a big ego. Anyone else with me on that? It would be like this little, and maybe it's because a part of me felt threatened or maybe because I saw people with big egos as like a bully Uh, in some ways when I was younger, I can't even tell you how many times I would use the line like, oh, he has this big ego. Oh, wow. He's such a big ego. Like things like that, just to justify the way that I was feeling or to save face or protect my pride. And my point is, is that the way I was raised led me to believe that ego was bad. And I'm here today to offer a new belief on this. As always. Now, I myself have had a lot of support from individuals throughout my big shift. And I like to use, I like to reference all mindset shifts as big shifts because even the little things or what you might think is little is actually colossal. Anytime that you can switch the lens in which you see the world, it's a big shift. So we need to give ourselves credit for that. My teachers, I mean, Adele Stratton, uh, I have had her on the show many, many times. She's an integrational manual therapist. I call her my Yoda. She's my spiritual coach. We worked together for years and years. Huge. She taught me a lot about the ego and I'm going to talk a little bit about those teachings. Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, he is an author. He wrote the book, The Four Agreements. It was reading The Four Agreements. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Basically was the starting point of my wellness journey. I read that book. I resisted reading it forever. I opened the first page and I could not put it down. I ended up reading it like three or four times back to back to back to back. And I was just like, like my mind had exploded. And, and lastly, I mean, Eckhart Tolle, he's also an author. Uh, he, he wrote the power of now and a new earth. Um, I also actually had the pleasure of seeing him live and, um, he had some beautiful teachings. We saw him live in Montreal, uh, several years back. This was pre COVID. And he obviously, like he certainly blew my mind open. Uh, in, in fact, some of his stuff was so far away from my comprehension that I, I didn't understand. I was like, I, I didn't grasp it. So if that feels like you, as I'm talking today, that is, that is okay. Like there are layers to understanding all things and we just need to continue to practice and hear these words and hear a new perspective until we're ready for them to land within a place within us. So all of these people, they have helped really to awaken me to something new and to a new way of thinking, to a new way of, of being, a way of being that I didn't learn growing up. They have all helped me to discover that I have a choice in what I believe and how I think and how I behave and how I react and how I am hoping to do the same for you. Just a wee bit anyways, just a wee, wee bit. So if you're on your wellness journey and you're struggling and you're looking for direction, 
You have, you're frustrated with some of the outcomes of your choices. These types of things that are brewing, you feel unseen, you feel unheard that no one really has your back. Then first and foremost, I urge you to listen to the show in its entirety, obviously, (laughs) as well as learn about the spiritual practice of awareness. This is the foundational base to which all things within my life are centered from. This this is to become the non-judgmental observer of your life, to be able to observe what's happening inside your mind, inside your body without judgment. So I can't stress this enough. And, and it it's, it's as though my awareness practice and meditation and stillness and bringing my attention back into the now, it's in that space that I acquired the most clarity of if, when, how my ego sabotages me. Okay. And, and this will resonate with many of you. I I know, especially those who feel as though they're the ones that are getting in their own way. Right. I hear that often. What's your biggest roadblock? Myself. I get in my own way and how its narrative no longer will serve me anymore. The ego's narrative that the storyteller, like the thoughts, the thinking, the, 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 the non-conscious thinking, uh, as well as how really the ego gets louder or softer as I go deeper into my own personal growth. So through awareness, I can see that every single person on earth has an ego. It's not big egos, no ego. (laughs) All right. Which was kind of a big breakthrough for me personally. In fact, the more you learn about it, the more you will you will be able to see it in others before you can actually see it in yourself. So in other words, it will become really easy to point out the wounds of the ego in others and quite difficult to see them in yourself. Okay. Then this is because the ego doesn't like change. It doesn't like to be questioned. It doesn't like to be challenged. It, another interesting fact about the ego is that it's the bridge from our conscious to our subconscious minds. It's part of who we are. It lives in the past and the future. And I'm going to get into that a little bit. It lives in the decay. It lives in what we've learned in our formative years. So um, essentially, I mean, there's arguments of what formative years really means. To me, I like to say anywhere between the ages of 7 and 14. Okay. And if you've ever joined a webinar with me anytime, you've heard me speak about how human beings, so human being, humans being, (laughs) um, are comprised of three main parts, the ego, the body, and the soul, the spirit. So all of these things work cohesively together. In other words, it's the ego is who we think we are. It's the narrative that we use and the storyteller that we use to defend what we know and what we believe to be true about who we are based on what we have learned within those formative years. It's the voice of our worth and it's displayed in the form of our personality. So yeah, the ego is also the voice of various personalities. And no, I'm not talking about, you know, split personalities or maybe some other mental illnesses here. And this is not to dismiss anyone who has mental illness in their lives or multiple personalities, that's a little bit different than what I'm talking about, but those all are birthed through the ego. And however, I want to bring attention to the fact that we, that we think and we wear the lens of many, many, many personalities. And we oftentimes flip through them like rapid fire hundreds of times a day, hundreds of times a day. Example, we wear the hat of the victim, the judge, the one of my favorite is the devil's advocate. You know, like when you when you trigger something in and you want to become the devil's advocate in some situations, hands up if you're like that. Me, hi. Uh, People pleaser is a is a big one that a personality that many people wear. It's a hat that many people wear. The optimist, the pessimist, uh, the creative, the creator, the the cheerful person, um, the competitive person, the goofy, hilarious. 
all of these types of personalities, the religious, the spiritual, those are personalities. Those are hats. Those are lenses that we put on and we can flip through them. You name it. There are so many, there's hundreds of hats that we wear every single day throughout the day and our lives. And we have identified with so many of these personalities and, or, or, or ways of being and, and these voices or the characters that talk to us inside of our minds nonstop all day, whether you are aware of it or not. Actually, did you know the average person thinks 21,000 thoughts a day? Like, that's astonishing to me. I'm like, what? Sometimes I'm like, I have nothing. I feel like there's nothing there. (laughs) But that is because I am not conscious of the voice. It's crazy. It's so crazy. So... (laughs) So that's why the practice of awareness is so vital to shift your mindset and to become aware of this ego and to really hear the voice of the ego. Awareness will help you identify the voice of the ego. And once you can hear it and hear the way it speaks to you and hear and and hear the way you think and how you treat yourself from the perspective of the non-judgmental observer, you can then learn skills to change that narrative. If you, if you aren't, prepared to acknowledge that it exists, I hear you. I feel you. But once you are prepared and you have the willingness to observe this without judgment, that is when you can actually make change in your life. So now the new perspective on ego that I want to talk about is to acknowledge that it lives in you. And it goes much deeper than one style of behavior, like that big ego sort of thing that I always just thought. And in fact, labeling someone as having a big ego is actually your own ego at work. So when I would say you have a big ego, that was really my ego being like picked or triggered. Um, it's, it's basically, it was basically my way of trying to make myself feel better. Right. And it's our own ego that is defending what we think we know. It defends our knowledge. All right to protect our personal importance, to protect ourselves, which has been perceived to be attacked by someone else's behavior or what they say or do. We like, sometimes you don't even need to say something. Someone else just needs to do something in front of you and you get triggered, you get picked. Uh, Where am I in my list of things I wanted to talk about here? I just lost track. Oh yeah, okay. So in other words, the ego is who we think we are who we think we are. It's the, it's the I am's it's the label of I am. And we identify with those I am's, right? For example, I am a podcaster. I am a coach. I am a woman. I am a sister, all of these different things. You get it. And before I get into that ego is not bad. Having an ego is not bad. It's part of who we are. It's one of the three things the body, the mind, the ego, they work together. You're not going to just like get rid of your ego, (laughs) but it's understanding how it works that will really help you to navigate through some of the pain and the suffering. The point, that is the whole point of this episode really is to bring your attention to how your ego is controlling you and, and assess whether this conscious or subconscious behavior is serving you in a positive and loving way? Or is it just what you've always done? Is it just what you've been taught to do, right? Or is it just your habitual thinking patterns? So I have an ego. I believe all egos, including my own, are entirely sensitive AF, (laughs) regardless of how they are expressed, whether it's internal or external expression our egos are sensitive and we will fight to the death to defend them, you know, and here's how the ego is at play in the mind. So at any point when we feel superior or inferior in any given situation, it's the ego. When we get offended or hurt, it's the ego. When we compare or fall under the spell of that judge or that victim, that's the ego. When we experience addiction, whether that's to drugs, sex, sugar, rock and roll, whatever it is, that is in large part the ego. When we feel the need to defend our self-importance or prove something to the world, that is ego. All right. And 
when I went and saw Eckhart Tolle actually in live, uh, he said something and I'm paraphrasing. He said, the ego is the role we play in our lives. It is our identification to self. And I found that really important. I find it really important because the ego is constantly at play subconsciously ranking you amongst others. It's the role that you play in your life. It's a role. And it doesn't matter how woke you think you are or how much spiritual practice you have or how much growth you've done or awareness you have or how many books you've read. It doesn't matter. The ego, your ego is a tyrant and will always fight for you to feel superior or inferior depending on how you've been raised to feel important. I'm going to get into that because oftentimes we think that superior is sort of the winner to feel important, but inferior, in fact, is also important to many people. Um, I'll explain. But first, I want to say that there are many ways to change the narrative. But as you grow or expand or evolve, the ego will be the one that keeps testing you and pulling you back into old narratives, into comfort zones. Uh, In other words, um, those beliefs that were formed in your formative years, what you thought you knew to be true when you were younger, those are deep-seated beliefs that the ego lives in and, and constantly pulls up and reminds you and triggers you. So example, how often do you meet someone new and ask them, what do you do for a living? This is a super common question. And I mean, we, we, you, once you hear the answer, we start making thousands of assumptions about who this person is, what they, um, I don't know how smart they are, how dumb they are, how much money they make, how successful they are and, and, and how important they are and how you, and then you start to compare yourself to that. So this is super popular first question for so many reasons in social situations, because it not only makes you feel like genuinely curious about someone, you're like, hi, talk about yourself. I'm, I want to know about you, but it also immediately ranks you as superior or inferior in your mind. So if you're a waitress, for example, with no college education and you meet an esteemed lawyer In many instances, your ego will immediately create a sense of separateness. Like you are better than me. I am less educated or you are beneath me. Okay. Both sides of the scale. And if you fall under the inferior side, you will then start to create a narrative that will either fall victim. Like you'll be, you'll go into a victim loop that you've created for, for, um, your survival, to get through your life if you've been victimized often or if that's your um, comfort zone. That's a bad way to explain it. Or that's a bad thing to say. Well, it's not the it's not exactly what I want to say, but if that's something that you're used to doing that has got you through your life, then you'll go into the victim loop or you'll find something you're better at or even to like to even out the playing field a little bit like maybe your shoes are nicer you'd be like yeah well I have nicer shoes so oh yeah well I'm prettier or yeah well whatever whatever the case may be when you feel inferior you're going to like try to pump your own tires a little bit um if you another example is like if you're a mother of four children and you meet someone who is having a lot of difficulty with fertility then Again, the ego is going to start to rank you as better or worse. And um, if there's dissonance there too, if there's some cognitive dissonance, if if you are the mother of four and you recognize that someone might feel bad because you have four kids and they don't, or they're trying to, or they're having difficulty, you might feel for that and try to bring yourself down and say things like, well, it's hell and you don't want four kids and whatever. I'm, I'm making up situations here on the fly, but you under, do you see where I'm going with this? Like we rank ourselves and then, and then our conditioning kicks in on how we proceed the next steps. 
The same goes with how much money you make or how successful you are or how successful you appear to be and how well you play certain roles in your day-to-day life. I mean, examples uh, is he's such a good father. Look at him playing with his kids all the time. My, my husband doesn't do that. Um, she's such a good athlete. You know, look at how disciplined she is. She has so much willpower. I could never be like that. All right. So we're comparing ourselves. Right. And this woman is, oh, you're scrolling, right? Girls, women, you're scrolling and you see some beautiful figure on a beach and you're like, oh, she's so pretty. She's so beautiful. Um, and then you immediately compare yourself to that and be like, I have so much weight. I'm fat. No one's ever going to love me like that. Whatever the narrative is in that victim role. So that's an example of how you will victimize yourself, uh, when you feel inferior. And a funny example of the battle of the ego is like Michael and I, we played this trivia game and (laughs) maybe I shouldn't tell that. I'm going to tell it. And this is kind of an older example because, but it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, Michael didn't get any answers in this trivia game and people were kind of making fun of him and he was taking it pretty good, but he started saying things like, I hate trivia. (laughs) trivia is the worst this sucks you know it was amazing um and then we got we ended up our team ended up doing really well like we tied for first place and we had this like tiebreaker and it was a super hard question and no one knew the answer but Michael like insisted this is the answer and he actually won the game for us and we were we like celebrated him and it was really fun but all of a sudden, because he had won, he he was like the hero. He felt more important. And all of a sudden, he likes trivia again. It's really interesting how the ego works. And it's flipping back and forth, wearing all these different hats all the time. So I love that example because it really in, illustrates how quickly we can go from one side to the next, from being the judge from being the judge to the victim, from being the here wearing the hero hat, the optimist to the pessimist. And it's our ego that create created separate that creates separateness amongst people. And I actually because the ego loves polarization and sort of thrives in it, it can be presented as individual beliefs or the beliefs of the collective and we're seeing that big time in the world right now. Now It's our ego that is creating separateness between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Now, I am not going to get political here. I'm not going to stay on this topic very long, but this is something that we are seeing. Who knows more than someone else? And um, I wanted to bring this up because it is such a strong example of how individual beliefs and how we acquire said beliefs are creating separateness amongst people. So we're, we are a global society creating superior and inferior status amongst each other. All right. And, and am I a better human for getting vaccinated? Am I a better human for not getting vaccinated? Whatever side you fall under, try to observe the way your mind will immediately defend your position. Okay. So Pay attention to the trigger and observe where your thoughts are coming from. So this is ego. Ego defends. Ego doesn't like change. It protects what we believe to be true. And I also really love the example of mother. Mother, this is like my last example, I think. It's it's a really um, interesting, very common label by which many people identify with, right? So mother means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And if you did my five-day wake-up challenge, which I'm offering for free on elisaunfiltered.com, little, little plug, um, I ask everyone to look at their own attachments that they have created to different words. One of them is mother. And a good example, we can all understand and define the word mother, right? If I asked you what the definition of mother is, you would have one. And in your own way, you would have defined that. But when we start to, you know, ask things like, what is a good mother? Uh, you know, perspectives, they start to shift a little bit, don't they? Maybe, maybe you are one that believes only a woman who has birthed a child can be a mother. Um, this is where we all differ. And it's interesting that we all have different beliefs and opinions about the exact same word. 
mother. And where the ego comes into play is that it identifies with the role as mother. So mother becomes an ideology. And it, and it, if you don't believe a mother, if you don't believe that mother is the same thing I believe, then you are wrong and I am right. That's how we start to justify things. That's the narrative that the ego plays in the mind. I am superior. My opinion and what I know about mother is superior than yours. You see what I'm, where I'm going with this? So in some instances, like mothers attack other mothers all the time. I see this on social media. It's crazy to me. And you, but we also see it on like television shows and movies and in the media. We see this, this like who's right and who's wrong situation. We judge, we rip other people apart for how they raise their children. And I'm not talking about, you know, child protective services or instances where there's abuse in the family. That is completely separate. But to attack someone for raising their children the way that they're, they're always doing their best, the way that they're doing their best with the knowledge that they know, is that justifiable? Is that loving and compassionate behavior? It's really interesting to ponder. It's a really interesting question to ponder and sit with, especially when we've had sort of outbursts or attacks or we've been triggered by someone. So yes, if you are a mother, if that resonates with you or you identify as mother, one of the things that we oftentimes forget, and this is the ego that is creating this, is that mother is, is, is not a role that we play. So the ego is the role that we play. Oftentimes we fall into the role playing of what mother is and how we are supposed to be. And however, this, this is more of, it's a function. To be a mother is a function. And these labels exist for order and meanings, like they exist for communication. And however, playing the role of these labels is the ego at work. It is our self-identification. The ego loves the role. It loves to identify with roles. The function of being a mother, however, is completely separate from any of the roles that we play. You see, like the function of mother is to meet the basic needs of their offspring, food, shelter, water, um, security, and our ego blurs the line between the function and the rule, all right? And that's where we, we create separateness within us. So this is where the perspective shift is so vital in our own mental and emotional well-being. Why? Because today's culture insists on picking a side, all right, and borrowing other people's definitions of roles and putting everyone in a box and like literally slamming the door completely shut. So today's culture forces your hand and creates the dialogue that you are with us or you're against us. There's so many things being thrown at us all the time and we have to like choose a side and there's literally no common ground or room for discussion or compassion or even space to figure out what we actually truly want. We're always just like siding with other people. I'm not sure if you, you, feel this in your own life. And one of the reasons for that is because the ego makes it super hard to connect and hear the voice of our instinct. So that instinct is that soul piece, you know, body, ego, soul, that, that life force piece, the soul, the, the spirit that lives within us, the energy, uh, whatever you want to call it. That piece is the one we need to make soulful decisions and we, the ego makes it tough for us to make soulful decisions because it convinces us that it's too scary. We have fear and we don't want to be outcast or shamed or belittled or hurt again or we don't want old wounds to be picked again. So it creates sort of like a ceiling, like a barrier. And once we hit that barrier, we um, will start to create those excuses and the self-sabotage and we'll never get past 
the hurt and the pain. And I'm actually going to um, talk about that a little bit more in detail in a minute. And I heard somewhere recently that human beings want two things. They want to belong and they want to be authentic. They want to belong and they want to be authentic. And when our sense of belonging is threatened, okay, we abandon our own authenticity. Let that sit in a little bit. When our sense of belonging is threatened, we will change who we are fundamentally inside so that we belong. It's so powerful and happens so often. If we don't fit the mold, and this happens in relationships, particularly with women, men, this absolutely happens with men as well. But if our relationship is threatened with someone, if our sense of belonging, we will try to change who we are, even though it goes against everything inside of us, just to belong. We lose our authenticity. However, it's through understanding that we're not solely our minds, so that thinking ego, we're not solely our body, which is that physical vessel, nor are we the spirit, the life force, the instinct, the soul, whatever the thing. We are all three inescapably working together or against each other based on your cultural conditioning. So what does that have to do with triggers and emotional well-being? Very good question. Well, I think it's a really good time to pull up um, some of these questions here that I received through um, some of the members of my inner circle, the one-on-one coaching program. So I think this is, we'll start with Amanda. So thanks, Amanda. I hope you're listening. Um, have, let's give a little context about Amanda because we've been working together for three months ish and she's divorced. She's a mother of two who works from home and is really struggling with the balance of making decisions that support her well-being and what she truly craves in her life, but feels as though she needs to abandon that authenticity for to keep the structure of her family ex- intact the way it's supposed to be. So... And I mean, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that for now. Um, are you ready? Here we, here we go. Amanda writes, last time we spoke, I had a breakthrough <clears throat> with how I identify with the victim and how I have become identified with the feelings of hurt, unworthiness, and heartbreak from my divorce. Every time I see my ex or speak to him about the kids, I get hurt and blame him for my pain. I take everything he says personally, and I don't know how to not get emotional and stand in my integrity around him. It's almost like I become a child and he's the scolding parent. How can I move away from this hurt in my relationship? Well, this is a big question and I love it. And first of all, thank you for being vulnerable. I want to answer this from the context of ego uh, and how your ego is controlling the narrative right now. So, and, and for the people tuning in, I have been working with Amanda, like I said, um, and I have a little bit more background on what you've just heard. So I don't want to get too personal, but I also um, won't have to make as many assumptions. <laughs> Okay. And I think it's important just to put that context in there and understand what's happening when I, I think it's important to start with understanding the importance of identifying with hurt and suffering, uh, and what this means. Basically what it means is that our suffering and hurt becomes who we think we are. Without it, without pain and suffering, without the narrative, who are we? What do we have left? What is there? And this oftentimes happens when people have, you know, traumatic experiences like, you know, nasty divorces in Amanda's case, or you feel cheated or slighted or heartbroken. 
this happens when we we experience deep hurtful wounds whether it's one time or you know micro traumas over time it doesn't matter where it comes from the wound is there and we have suffered for so long and we and we haven't been able to heal from that and it becomes who we think we are and we i can fully understand why you're hurt and it's okay that you've been hurt it's actually a it's natural and a healthy response to loss and heartache that is the natural response it's supposed to happen you're supposed to feel hurt um, however, what I'm observing, and this happens to many people, it has happened to myself, myself included, is that because you have subconsciously attached yourself to victim and the role of the victim as being part of who you are, it's just okay, it's okay, you have now begun to use that role of victim in order to punish others. And what do I mean by that? This is really interesting because this happens more often in our society than we think. So when you feel hurt and you are in a situation where you want to say, this is all your fault, you know, look at how mad I am. Look at how you, how you have ruined my life or this is all, whatever. My life is over because of you. What is actually happening is that your ego is going into self-defense mode. This is part of your conditioning. And it's trying to figure out how to increase its self-importance. And so in that moment, you feel inferior and therefore you're looking for ways to feel superior again. So what do you do? You victimize yourself even more. This is something I used to do. Personally, I have personal experience with this and I, I find it fascinating that when you victimize yourself more, what you do is you suffer and you show your suffering. Look at me suffer, ex-husband. Look at what you've done to me. All right? And this is the breakthrough because I think if you remember correctly, Amanda, you had a massive breakthrough in the context that you subconsciously stayed in your suffering in order to hurt someone else. So let's revisit that. Your suffering is... Your suffering is the way that you are feeling superior because in many ways you're pulling him down and trying to cause him grief or guilt or whatever. Am I correct? And in essence, you're manipulating your interpretation of the situation in order to fulfill your self-importance, which is how the ego works over and over again. Just to kind of add to this a little bit more because it's so fascinating, isn't it? The ego has a very different, it has a very difficult, let me say, it's a difficult time healing from this. And the process begins with your awareness practice and your ability to continue to observe this behavior within your mind over and over again. Observing when you're triggered by him and having an emotional breakdown because you're hurt, right? These are things that we need to be observing. Things are going to happen. However, they're going to happen less and less once you can create some space to pause, bring yourself back into the present moment and recognize that right now in this moment, you are okay. You are in control. The more space you create between the trigger and the response, the more the awareness of choice will become clear. And it's really, it's also very natural to have aha moments like you have had, you said you had a breakthrough and feel like you're fixed. (laughs) How often do we do that? We're like, yeah, I'm healed. I am in alignment. I am enlightened. And nothing's ever going to bother me again. I'm never going to go back. I'm never going to feel this way. But then it happens. You fall back into that hole. And the key is to just keep building up those skills so that you aren't in the hole for as long. And you can jump out quickly There's a lot of analogies like that where you're walking down the street and you fall into a hole, you know, and eventually you're going to choose a different street entirely with no hole. I love that analogy. I'm not going to say it, but it's something like that. It's pretty good. I think I want to leave it there. But Amanda, let's continue this discussion off the air. You're doing so well. And I want to thank you for sharing this situation. Oh, and maybe I'll leave you with this quote, actually, because I want to pull it up. This is an Oprah quote, but I think not 100 percent sure. 
And I think that this is really directed towards the ego in particular. The quote is this, there is no greater battle in life than the battle between the parts of you that want to be healed and the parts that are comfortable and content remaining broken. I'll leave you at that. Let's move on to the next question here. This comes from Kieran. So Kieran and I have been working together since November of 2020. So a while. And when we first met, she had just gone through a breakup as well. And she had also lost her job due to COVID. She had to move. Uh, She gained some weight. She felt really self-conscious about her body and like, uh, so many things like so much change happened in such a short amount of time, which I know a lot of people listening felt that too. I, I, I also did too. There's, there was a lot to mourn with her. There was a lot of mourning and sitting with feelings and emotions. So I want to kind of plug that in. Um, lots of identity shifts happening all at once. So Sometimes when our world feels like it's crumbling down, we identify with the term hitting rock bottom, okay? And or identity crisis. I'm in an identity crisis. Who am I? What am, what's my purpose? Um who am I supposed to be here? I think Karen definitely faced a lot of that and for context, she is now kicking ass. All right? And she has redefined her reality which is so, so cool. But this question's really good. So I have, this is her question. I've been man-toxing for about eight months. And, oh, let me just explain a little bit about the (laughs) man-tox. What's a man-tox? It's it's sort of a term I like to refer to uh, when women, and honestly, men can do this as well. Uh, it's, It's not gender specific necessarily, but what it is is when you take a break from dating or being influenced by um, the sexual preference, your sexual preference, whether that be a man or a woman, when it comes to your goals and your needs and desires and wants and values. It's a really great way to rediscover who you are, to basically like detox um, from being in that environment, all right? And all the narratives that come with that environment. So anyways, back to the question. I've been man-toxing for eight months and I feel really good about my life. Yes. I feel as though I'm on an upswing from the pendulum swing of life. Yes. Uh, My morning routine is awesome. I am connecting to my body and living more intuitively. I'm making loving choices for myself more often and I finally feel happy. Awesome. I wake up and look forward to facing the day, but every time I think about dating or being in a relationship, I get really sad because I've gained so much weight. I wonder who will ever love me and this body. My confidence is high in all aspects of my life except dating. This is frustrating. How can I get past this and rejoin the world of coupledom? Coupledom? Is that a word? Maybe. (laughs) Okay. Kieran, uh, first of all, I love this question so much. It's so interesting how we've been conditioned to believe that we must be in relationship to be happy or to feel complete or fulfilled or, you know, even going the next to the next level and saying you need to be married and have children to experience real, real love. There's a lot happening in this question, actually, but the where do I want to go with this? Because I believe that these narratives, they like, I am unlovable or I am unattractive. They may be true for some and they may not be at all. And for anyone else that might be in a similar situation, remember your worth and your value does not live in the size of your body, even though that is hard to connect to because it has been ingrained in us from birth, really. And it's everywhere, penetrating us from all directions about what the world thinks, you know, what the narrative of the world is, of what elite is, of what success is, of what beauty is, of what worth is. And we've really started to take on this global belief system, but it's complete bullshit. 
And this narrative lives inside of you because at some point or another, you learned, you saw it somewhere and you agreed to it. They, that, that belief also gets reinforced with this global, with the, with the media, with movies, with Disney fairy tales and all that jazz, you know, however, in the context of ego, how our ego controls our behavior and our thinking and ultimately, you know, our mood, I suspect that there is a couple of things going on. First is that despite doing an amazing job and really learning how to make yourself a priority here and rediscover your values, I would be curious about whether or not you need a little bit more time in this self-full space of filling your own cup and healing. You're really getting a nice solid taste of what healing feels like and how what the results are about changing some of those narratives and learning to have your own back, right? So there is no rush. I'm a firm believer that conscious humans, when you become more conscious of your life, you will enter romantic relationships when the timing is right. I just want to leave that with you, even though that might be difficult to hear. I just want to leave that with you. And the second thing is ego loves to spend time in the past or project itself into a future moment that has not happened yet. So it loves to hold on to the decay of what once was or fantasize about a future that has not happened yet. In fact, it is argued among spiritual gurus all over the place that the ego actually can't even live in the now. It has to live in the past or the future, which is really interesting. It's an, it's a neat perspective. So when you have those thoughts of unworthiness, I would encourage you to pay attention, use your awareness practice to bring you back into this moment because now you in only in the now you can control your response. If you live in the past, you're going to, you're going to use past responses. If you live in the future, you're going to make something up. That's not true. It's not even, it hasn't even happened yet. You're making assumptions about nothing. So coming back into the moment is really, really important. Oh, and lastly, I would like to encourage you to pay attention to the kickback you get from the nobody loves me narrative. So I ask this because you wouldn't be telling this story to yourself if you didn't get something from it. And you know that you're lovable. I mean, look at how much you're loving yourself right now. And you're giving yourself, you're, you are thinking and behaving like a person who is showing up for themselves and having their own back. That's you. You're living and doing that. You're living like a front burner thinker. You have the skills to pause, to put space between yourself and the thoughts and explore the fear and the pain and the suffering that has occurred in your life and in in other areas. But now I believe that it's time to explore that a little bit more within the context of relationships. So this is when the hard stuff becomes the most powerful. And of course it can be really scary. And I have, um, it's really scary to have, to be in new love and to date, (laughs) anyone that's single out there. I mean, I went through three year man talks myself and getting back into dating, like, or maybe even the idea that you might have to give yourself away because that is what you did. You, you abandon your authenticity for the sake of belonging so many times in your past that your mind doesn't want to do that again. You don't want to do that again. Your soul craves more. You know that there's more out there for you. You just haven't seen it yet or experienced it yet to really trust. This is like that blind faith. So, so it's, so because you don't trust, you're like getting a little red flag in there somewhere. And if you don't explore the pain and the fear from past relationship, you will continue to pull that fear and pain and heartbreak into the next relationship. So the healing comes from going deeper and feeling and healing and soothing yourself like you have done in other aspects of your life, which may have seemed easier because maybe the wounds weren't as deep or the beliefs weren't as deep or ingrained or the fear wasn't as strong. And actually Mark Groves, who's like awesome at relationships, he, he, he uses a really good example of this. He says, it's like when you burn your finger on the stove when you burn your hand on the stove, you, 
you aren't supposed to go close to the stove anymore, right? But what if the burn is actually in your heart? What if it's within you? And what happens is you won't want to go closer to what has caused you pain in the past. And this is really interesting because it becomes even more scary because we don't have boundaries around it and the burn uh, might have been anything, self-sabotage, bulldozing, abandonment, not having safety or security, those types of things. If we don't explore those things, we will have a ceiling or an upper limit to how we love and how we look for love and how we experience love. This is huge. Once we reach, because once we reach that limit and where we are, in other words, close enough to the stove for our comfort level, we will then create, and I was talking about this earlier, this is when we start to create those distractions and those self-sabotage things. That's when we start to self-sabotage and get in our own way. When we reach the limit, our capacity to move forward, we haven't explored the pain and the hurt. This is the he- this is where the healing comes in. So we have to learn how to break through that ceiling in order to expand and and evolve, if you will. I, I don't like the word evolve. I know I've said this before. It feels righteous to me. Um, evolve. <clears throat> But anyways, that's just a trigger that lives in me. So if this resonates, I think for you right now, exploring some of the decay of the hurt and pain from the past is going to be so powerful for you, but you're doing a really good job. And I'm like, oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. I want to move on to some email questions that were sent in. Anyone else here listening that's still with me live, feel free to um, comment. I'm going to just look through these comments really quickly. See if I missed anything. I'm not sure. Lots of waves. Hi, everyone. If you're still with me, awesome. Um, Email questions. I have quite a few here. We're running out of time. I'm going to answer two at least. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do three. So the first one is, um, and these are all anonymous, obviously. Um, I don't feel that I'm taking, okay, excuse me. Let me rephrase this. I don't feel like I'm taking on too much, but I've been having these slow days when not much has happened and that I feel guilt. And then I feel guilty and overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, I can't read. (laughs) How can I deal with the feeling of being overwhelmed? So in my understanding of this question, you're feeling overwhelmed because you're slowing down. You're feeling overwhelmed because you aren't feeling as productive. And for this, this is really interesting because we can go in a couple different uh, directions here, but I think it's really important for you to tap back into the notion that you're always doing your best. It's the old narratives of the ego that are, it's hustle culture. It's, you have to be doing something to be worth something. You have to be doing something to have value in your life. But really when you come back into your body and you like, let, like, let's just pretend that all that other shit doesn't exist. Honoring yourself and using your awareness practice to really like tune into how you feel in the moment and do your best is priceless. I mean, yeah, some days are going to be slower than others. That's super common. However, attaching meaning to that and using it against yourself is a slippery slope. It's super dangerous. So always come back into this moment and recognize like, how do I feel? What do I, what are my needs for this moment? How can I do my best in this day? And if you feel like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being super energized and productive and zero being like sick or like super tired or, you know, zero energy, where do you fit along that sliding scale? And how can you do your best? in that moment. Every day is a new day. Every day is your opportunity to check in with who you are and the needs of, and the energy of your body and the needs of who you are and checking in with your values. And 
really getting to know yourself <laughs> and getting to know and observing those old narratives because I know how they can really take over. Just keep breathing and coming back into this moment. That's, I'll leave it at that. Next question. Again, if anyone wants to ask anything, go for it. Um, how to let go of someone you love and have been with for a long time, but you know they can't offer you the relationship that you want. And I actually know the person who asked this question and I know that this is kind of fresh. And I might have answered some of the some of that in my previous answers. So if I did, I hope that that was helpful. But I will add that <clears throat> the more time we spend abandoning our own needs, the easier it is to get drawn in and to abandon our authenticity for the sake of belonging. So... It's very natural to keep going back to preserve the decay, to project the illusion of what what once was into your future. And I mean, you said it right here. You know they can't offer you the relationship you want. So now, and you said that. So now you have a choice. Is is do you want to abandon your needs do you want to knowing that you're not going to get what you want just for the sake of of that comfort and security of the of the illusion that you might be okay you know or you're in partnership do you want to abandon that or do you want to start to show up for yourself a little bit differently and learn skills to really hone in on what you value as a as a woman or as a person and start to create a different life for yourself it's it's a really um how do I want to finish this for the most part especially particularly in women we fall into the belief that, um, you know, till death do us part sort of thing and that we have to compromise all the time and that we have to uh, fix things and have the illusion of happiness. And we just, we continuously give ourselves away and we continuously um, meet the needs of others before we meet our own needs. And being single for the first time in a long time is a beautiful gift to give yourself. This is a perspective that actually took me at least a year into my singleness uh, to fully grasp because I was conditioned to be in relationships. So I was like looking for the next guy and I was just picking the same guy over and over again. They looked different. They acted different. They had different sort of jobs and whatever. But they were the same. I was attracting the same person because I wasn't. I wasn't emotionally available. I was chaos. So I was attracting chaos and emotional unavailability. That's the way the cycle was until I broke the cycle. So being single is a gift because it gives you time to figure out what you actually want and what you value instead of continuously meeting the needs of someone else. And this is scary. It's, it sucks. <laughs> it kind of sucks for a little bit of time because you're like, it's like, it's like that whole analogy of like, um, you can read a million self-help books, but when it comes to actually doing the work, do you know what you're doing? It's like, the same analogy with swimming. If you have never gone swimming before, if you've never swam, but you've read all the books on how to swim and then someone pushes you in the lake, what's going to happen? You know, you're not expected to know the answer. The, the, the faith, the blind faith, the trust is in 
going through the process and showing up every day and learning who you are, learning how to swim, going in past your knees, going in past your weight, your waist, learning to tread water. And then eventually you might be an Olympian winning gold medals because you're just putting in the time and learning how to develop these skills. So again, going back to the question, if you know that they can't offer you the relationship that you want, it's okay to love them, bless them, and move on. People come in and out of our lives constantly. Think about the friends that you once had that no longer are with you for whatever reason. This is the evolution of of relationships. People come into our life sometimes for very brief moments of time to teach us something about who we are. And it's up to us to decide if we are going to take it on or we're going to fall back into our old patterns. So I think that's all for today, everyone. Man, that was... That was a lot of talking. That was a lot of talking. I hope that, uh, you know, if you want to continue this discussion off air, feel free to shoot me an email at alisa at alisaunfiltered.com. And thank you very much for joining me today on this live Instagram recording of the podcast, as well as anyone that's listening on Apple, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. I can't believe how fast that just flew by. We've been talking for over an hour. Wow. If you want more, head over to elisaunfiltered.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. And if you're looking for a new crew of body love, self-care, and confidence builders just like yourself, be sure to join my exclusive community over on Facebook. The link is waiting for you at alisaunfiltered.com. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.